You can open to James chapter 4, if you would. It's been quite a while since we were in the book of James. If you remember, we began, I don't know, years ago now, uh, in the book of Hebrews, and went through Hebrews, and then James, and 1st and 2nd Peter, 1st and 2nd, 3rd John, and now we're in Jude in our study on uh, Sunday mornings. Um, the book of James is the first book after Hebrews in the reality epistles. And the book of James is a very, if you just read it, it's a very hard-hitting book. Um, basically, God is at the very beginning of these reality epistles wanting to confront each of us with what do you really have. And if you have the high priest of Hebrews, then as you go through these other books, what you'll find is where you're otherwise minded, you'll be aware of it, but you will recognize and be encouraged that God wants to deliver you from yourself and bring you to a place of having all that he wants you to enter into. Now, if you remember, well, we're going we're gonna to go into chapter 4. Chapter 4 brings up something that comes in earlier, but it expounds upon it. And uh, I want us to look at that, and then I want us to look at a passage in Matthew. Uh, the title of the message this evening is Asking and Receiving. Asking and Receiving. In, you don't have to turn there, but in Psalm 66, verse 18, it says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. And we're going to see that in James. We're going to see that you can ask. It sounds odd. You know, people will say when you pray, God answers yes or no or wait. And, and there's truth to that. But sometimes when you pray, God doesn't answer at all because you didn't really pray. You talked toward heaven, but you didn't really pray. And we'll talk a little bit about that together tonight. Remember, I've mentioned before that God never, never, ever rejects or misses a humble cry. But when we pray in pride and selfishness, He does not hear this. And we'll see that together tonight. And we'll ask the Lord, I'm hoping, my desire is when we're finished with this time together tonight, that your desire will be to say, Lord, help me that my prayer life would not be a selfish thing at all. Because there are a lot of people that need to be helped, and I need your help. And so help me to not be selfish as I pray. Let's pray. Indeed, Lord, we need you. I'm encouraged that it's clear that we need you. But I'm just as encouraged that it's very clear that you're there. Lord, I thank you that what we'll see together tonight, it will be convicting probably, but convicting unto comfort, causing us to recognize that when there's any motive that is selfish, it's not your desire to help us to be selfish. It is your desire to set us free from self and to enter into selfless service for others for your glory and their good. So bless us as we look at these things together. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. 
So here in chapter four, I'm just going to, we're going to look at the first 10 verses. We won't be here that long tonight, I don't think, but I want to look at these verses. I'm not going to go into great detail. They're very, pretty clear, I think. So let's look at them, beginning in verse one, James chapter four, verse one. It says, from, from whence come wars and fightings among you? Now that, that, that first question, from whence come wars and fightings among you? So it probably matters to us who the you is. Now, first of all, how many of you remember from this morning that you is plural? So he's talking to the group together, not to the individual, but to the group together. So James is not written to the world. James is written to those that are professing Christians, those of us that are born again. And so it's really written to those that are already in local churches, scattered throughout all the world already, ministering together. And so here's what it says. From whence come wars and fightings among you? So this is not talking about out there, if you will. It's talking about in here. Then he answers it. Let's look at it. Come they not thence, even of your, again, plural, lusts that war in your, plural, members. So here's what happens. We talked about this a lot. You probably remember this. This is something that has been really important to me in my life. It is uh, one of those things where you begin to recognize that if, I, if we have difficulty, let's just say Simon and I, if Simon and I have difficulty, it's only by pride that, that, that contention comes. Now, I've said this a number of times. I could ha- now, if Simon's humble and, and godly and patient and kind, in other words, if the fruit of the Spirit is filling his life, even if I'm a jerk, he's not going to have a problem. I might have a problem, but we won't have a problem. And see, I used to always think that anybody I had a problem with well, it's just their fault, right? I mean, if I have a problem with Simon, well, I wouldn't have a problem with Simon if he wasn't a problem. I get along great with everybody that's great. But if somebody has a problem, then of course we'll have a problem. But what you realize is if you have a problem, you have a problem, not them. They may have a problem also, but you have a problem. And this is important in our life that we recognize that if I, if I am... Uh, um, having a difficult time in wars and fightings, if you will, then it comes from my lust and their lust, and our lust conflict. We talked about this before. What's the problem with your flesh? Here's the real problem. You know what? I have seen very few marriages where the husband's flesh and the wife's flesh get along well enough for them to get away from God together a long ways, which is really a blessing. Because they're, they're, our flesh does not typically... In other words, if Kathy's walking in the flesh and I'm walking in the flesh, we won't get very far because we'll argue almost immediately because our flesh does not get along. Very rarely can a husband and wife both walk in their flesh and be trotting away from God together and get a long way away from God. When, and this is a blessing, actually, that if something's in your heart that's off and something is in somebody else's heart and it's off, you will conflict. And this is not, a, 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 how you say, a curse. This is a blessing from God because he wants to separate your flesh, your selfishness from you. And so what he says is this, why do you have wars and fightings? Why do you have wars and fightings? And the answer is lusts. That's why. So they war in your members. Now notice it says 
so the external wars, look at this please with me, the external wars between us come from the internal wars in us. Do you see that? The external wars, the conflicts that we have come from the conflicts that each of us have within ourselves. Um, I remember, my mom said this a long time ago, and it was really helpful to me. As a, as a, as a reasonably young, my mom and I were both saved at similar times, uh, and she said, I've come to realize that the people that are most annoying to me are the people th that do things that God is dealing with me about. Do you understand what I mean when I say that? So when, and this, that's because what happens is when God is dealing with you about something, this is in 1 John, by the way, when your heart knows something's off and you know that God is dealing with you about it, when you see it in someone else, you want to shift all of what the Holy Spirit is dealing with you about to them. It's like, oh, Lord, I, I, I know I need you to help me in this matter, but they really need you to help them in this matter. And so what happens is the lust, and again, it says, notice it says lust. Now remember, if you guys remember, the word lust simply means strong desire, right? And we go back to the Lord Jesus at the Last Supper. He, if we translated it using the word lust instead of desire, he says, with desire have I desired to eat this with you. In other words, with strong desire have I desired to eat this meal with you. But it could be translated with lust have I lusted to eat this meal with you? But we wouldn't translate it like that because it's a good desire. Jesus has a good desire. The problem with strong desires in us is typically strong desires that we have are selfish. And that's why they're called lust. They simply are an inordinate affection. What that means is this, an overdrive desire. I really want, anybody, anybody, anybody familiar with overdrive desires at all? I really want whatever this is. I am. I, when, you know, the Lord is, is really beginning to cause me to see them early now. As soon as I start to get, um, what would be the word? Um, you could say selfish. As soon as I start to get, it's almost covetous. I start seeing something and leaning in that direction, if you understand what I'm saying. And the Holy Spirit now says very early, Stop leaning like that. Remember what happened to Lot, right? Lot, what did he do? He saw what could be advantageous, but he lusted toward it. He said, I will have that and I will live that way. But he just kept leaning, 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 leaning until finally he was completely lost and living in something that he wishes that he wasn't anymore. So what happens in our lives is these internal desires that war within ourselves cause us to have conflict with each other. It says, you lust, verse 2, and have not. You kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight in war, yet you have not because you ask not. That's a very familiar passage starting right now. You have not because you ask not. You ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your own lusts. So here, so this is our prayer life. I was thinking about it. Has anybody ever watched a sporting event and a, a very tense moment in a sporting event, and the, the cameras are on the crowd, and people in the crowd are actually praying. You can actually see them praying, right? It's typically towards the end of a sporting event. Often there's somebody getting ready to kick a field goal, and it's a two-point game. And if they if they kick this field goal, they're going to win by one if they miss it. So I was thinking to myself, there are 80,000 people present. 40,000 people are praying that he'll miss it. 40,000 people are praying that he'll make it. And what is God doing up there? You think he's counting? Hold on, hold on, I'm almost done. All right, he's got to miss. You know what I'm saying? 
No, because both of them are praying to consume it upon their own lusts. All they want is the result that they want. That's all they want. Now, has anybody ever prayed at a sporting event for a certain thing to happen? Have you really? Okay, all right. I didn't mean to get that close. Um, I know I have, but I thought I'd, I thought I'd, I noticed that Daryl wasn't here right now. I thought he and I would be the only ones that ever done this. The, uh, I have done that, but what I realize is, I remember, I remember as an unsafe person praying, and, and this is, I didn't realize I was being lustful. I just thought, surely God has more things to do right now than this, right? God is not up in heaven saying, hold on, hold on, this big fire out in California. This guy's praying about a field go over here. I got to give him my attention. I figured he just didn't have time for what I was asking. But what I realize now is, we waste our prayer life when we pray for what we want for ourselves. And that's what he's saying. So what he's, And again, this is to a local church. These are to people that are ministering together, praying, maybe even together, but praying together selfishly. And what God is saying is, I can't answer that. Let's look at it again. He says, you have not because you ask not. So Often we just, now by the way, how many of you are familiar, um, I know this has happened at our church a number of times. You know, I've been here now for 20 years and we fixed vehicles and we've built things and done things. And some of you may say I was there when we did that, when we worked on something for a long time and finally somebody said this. Anybody know what I'm going to say? We should pray about this. We should pray about this. All our knuckles are already bloody, right? We can't find the wrench anymore. You know what I'm saying? You know what? We should pray about this. And so we humble ourselves and pray. Sometimes we don't ask because we're too proud to ask. And every wife in here is bumping their husband right now, right? right? The, you know, the famous thing, husbands won't ask for directions. I used to, my wife will share with you, if I went to a store to find something, I was looking until I found it, right? Or was sure the store didn't, didn't have it, right? Now I walk into the store when I go to find something. Even if I know that I think I know where it is, when I, as soon as I walk into the store, I walk to the nearest representative and say, do you know where the blah, blah, blah is? And, they'll, and by the way, it's amazing to me how often they know exactly what aisle it's in, what shelf on that aisle, you know what I'm saying? And they'll say that to you. And I'm, I'm so humbled at this point about the whole thing. I'm almost willing to say, would you go get one for me and just bring it back here? You know what I'm saying? I, I have a completely different, I, there's no sense in wasting any time. It's like, and if they say, uh, I think it's on aisle 14, as I'm walking toward aisle 14, I'll stop another representative and say, hey, do you have any idea? I won't say I already asked somebody. I'll just say, hey, do you have any idea or such and such? And if they say, yeah, it's on aisle 14, I'll just keep going. If they say it's on aisle 16, I'm just going to aisle 16 because they said it like they knew what they were talking about. If we'll humble ourselves and ask, we can receive, unless what? unless we're asking selfishly. Anybody, now listen, you know, I was thinking about this morning. We were looking this morning about Christ being our foundation, Christ being our cornerstone, and Christ being the one that's building our lives. But we're gonna, I want you to understand this. When I say that Christ is our foundation, he is. When I say Christ is our cornerstone, he is, clearly. And when I say that Christ is the one building, he is. But he expects you to be involved in it. He expects, he expects you to be putting things in order and to be using the Word of God to look down the line to the cornerstone to make sure that what you're doing is lining up with what He wants to do. And it's the same way when you pray. Now, we're going to leave this. There's a lot here. Well, let's, let's finish reading it first. It's really not attractive. Let's look at it. He says in verse 4, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know you not that friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. 
Do you think that the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? Now here's what he's saying. The Holy Spirit in us does not love the world system, but he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resists the proud, which are the, supposed to be the people out there, right? The people who are unsaved, but giveth grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore. Now, by the way, notice, together. Not, 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 not submit thyself, submit yourselves together, therefore, to God. In other words, instead of praying selfishly, pray corporately, selflessly. Get together and agree. Now, I can say this. I, I know I kind of said it this morning, but I mean this with all of my heart. Um, if, you, if you come, and you're welcome to come, we have a deacon's meeting, unless it's something that we're talking about that's discreet, that we're not allowed to, you know, that we just can't talk with other people about yet. But to a normal deacon's meeting, if you come, what you'll find is that the men that, that are the deacons of our church have almost no um, pride in how we meet. And, I, and that's just a, such a tremendous blessing. We'll, we'll talk for a long time, pray for a long time to simply come to a, a complete unity that we just want the will of God in whatever this is. And we're willing to do whatever it is. In other words, there's no, Dr. Smith brings forward an idea and Mitch has a, a different idea. And because they both presented their idea, they don't champion their idea until we come to a vote picking between their two thoughts. And that, that never, and I mean that as an absolute, that never happens. He may have an idea. He may have a different idea. And then suddenly they both say, might say, you know what, what Glenn wants to do, that's a better idea than both of these ideas. Just like that. And it's wonderful to watch because what it demonstrates is exactly what we're seeing here. We are really blessed as a church family that largely we're not consuming things upon our own lusts. We're not meeting together to accomplish something with one or two people saying, we're going to do it my way before this is over, or I'm leaving. And by the way, if you really feel that way, just save us the time and leave now, right? If it really matters that we do it your, we're only going to do it one way, and that's Jesus's way. And when we meet for anything, whether it's a small group or a larger group, we just want to find out what the Lord Jesus wants us to do, and we just want to do that together. But we don't just want to do it, we want to do it in joy. We want to do it uh, rejoicing in God's goodness and leading us before he even accomplishes what he's going to accomplish while he leads us. Notice it says, submit yourselves therefore to God, verse 7. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. And, that, and again, it's not like you, you know, and we've all been to places where somebody stands up and says, Satan, I resist you in the name of Jesus, that kind of a thing. That, that's not what it's saying. What it's saying is instead of letting Satan have a space in your heart to cause division and, dis and, and distance in your local church, just say no to your flesh, say no to the enemy, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh unto the Lord, right? Let's come to it after that. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Be willing to recognize this. Purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourself, therefore, in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. And now this is not saying God wants us to walk around moping and sad. What this is saying is instead of simply being selfish and rejoicing because you've got it good right now, recognize that there's others that don't. And be willing to, now, honestly, honestly, you, I, know, I know how you feel about this because I see some of your posts. 
there was recently, I don't know, I don't know how many of you posted something very similar to this. Basically, the, the, police, the, the police officers in New York on 9-11, or the firefighters, but, but because of the picture that comes second, the police officers in New York covered in soot to such a degree that they just look like they're a light gray color, their whole body, running to help somebody. And then in the next picture, they're standing with somebody screaming in their face, you know, just this last couple of weeks or a month ago, because they're police officers. And under it, it said, we said we would never forget, but we did. And I don't understand that attitude. I, I got to be honest with you, I don't understand that attitude. I don't understand attacking the police department when you, when you got to be so glad when you call 911 that they're going to come. I was talking to someone in New England, and they said, well, you know, so, you know some police officers, they get that, that badge on, and they get an attitude, and they suddenly think that they're... And I said, you know what, I know probably 30 police officers. I don't know anybody like you're talking about. I said, and I'm sorry that, that CNN seems to want to make you think that that's how they are. But it's not how they are. And we know that's not how they are. Do you understand what I'm saying? What I'm saying is this. If we will just recognize that there are a lot of people right now that need our prayers, then we'll humble ourselves and we'll weep with them and we'll pray for them. Now, the up, there's, an, there's an election coming up. I think it, it might be right to say that it may be the most important election. I think the last one was the most important election of my lifetime. I think this one may be more important than the last one. But here's what I want. Here's what I want you to want. Lord, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. If we're going to pray about this, and that's, that's where we're going to go right now, if we're going to pray about this, let us pray this way. Lord, you be glorified. You work in such a way that you'd be glorified. In fact, turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. I kind of just made it clear where we're going, what we're going to look at when we get there. Matthew chapter 6. I've been really convicted about this, this model prayer, more and more. It's one of those things you'd think that when you're a young Christian and you learn this model prayer and you spend a lot of time kind of digesting it and saying, I want to learn to pray, you know, in this pattern, and you think you really understand the pattern, and then you mature a little bit and you think, oh, it's more about a heart attitude than it is the pattern, and then you mature even more and you realize, I don't know that I even have the heart to pray correctly, if you understand what I'm saying. So let's go look at this together. Beginning in verse 9, Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 9. They've asked him, right? The, uh, the disciples have asked him to teach them to pray. And so he says this in verse uh, 9. After this manner, therefore pray ye. Now I want you to, I, I, I'm not going to spend all night on this, but I really want you, I would like you to go home and start going over this. Maybe, maybe as part of your devotions every day for the next week or two, Start here and start thinking about your own prayer life and see if it doesn't affect your prayer life. Our, now, not, by the way, what's the first word? Not my. Does everybody notice that? It's not my father. What does that mean? What is it? Our father. I remember S.M. Lockridge, uh, he's preaching a message on this, and he says, uh, notice it says our father. And he said, so if he's your father and he's my father, that means we must be brothers. And he says it like that, and he says, some of y'all don't like that, do you? <laughs> Our father. And by the way, notice how I got to get rid of my selfishness in James chapter 4 if we're going to go to our father together as one. Amen? Amen? 
This is what unified, unified prayer is not about you and it's not about me. It's about, well, what we're gonna see about it, it's not even about anything other than God's glory and the good of those that need it. And we'll see that as we go through this. Our Father which art in heaven, it does matter. I know I said this recently. Is God omnipresent? Yes or no? Is God here right now? Right? Is God indwelling you? If you're born again, is God indwelling you? Yes. Why then does it say our Father which art in heaven? And I know I've said this, but it really is important that you understand this. Heaven, Richmond matters to Virginia, right? Richmond matters because the governor's mansion is in Richmond. The authority of Virginia resides in Richmond. The authority of the United States resides in Washington, D.C. The authority that matters resides in heaven. And that's important to all of us. We have, if you will, the ability to go around the quote-unquote chain of command and write to the commander-in-chief and say, may I talk to you, please? That's a privilege. It's a privilege you can't do in the Navy, by the way. It's a privilege you can't do in the government. Try to just go up and see the governor tomorrow, right? Try to go up and see the president tomorrow. Even if you like him and you donate and he likes you, you're still not going to go up and see him. But we can go boldly to the throne of grace all the time. And he will give you his undivided attention when you go. And what you, we're going to begin to learn is as we go, as you go and I go, and we begin to realize I'm not going for me anymore. I'm not going to the throne of grace for me anymore. I have everything I need in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to go to the throne of grace for those that I know who have needs in their life. And that's not to look down at anybody. I just know somebody who's going through a hard time. You know, victorious family, right? You know, you called her Tor Tori. You know, Tori is a, is a familiar term. I don't know Tori. I would, I would have called her Victoria because I don't know who she is. I know she's a young lady who was in a car accident who had to be put into an induced coma. Reminds me very much of something we went through not that long ago, right? And so we have some understanding of that. But when, when I pray for her, I'm not praying for, for her. I, I can't pray for Tori for my benefit because I have nothing to benefit from her doing well. When we were praying for your daughter, we, we could be a little selfish, if you will, while we were praying because we love her. Lord, I want her to be well. Lord, I want her to be well. But what you have to learn to be able to pray is for others who have the needs. Lord, her family wants her to be well. We want her to be well for her sake and for your glory, not so we can feel good about it. Amen? This is what God is causing us to understand. And it's right here at the beginning. Our Father, which art in heaven. And then notice what it says. Hallowed be thy name. Any prayer that you have that's not to the holiness and glory of God, just skip it. Right? Just skip it. Again, oh Lord, please let this guy make this field goal. Just skip it. Right? Just skip it. Unless you're going to say, Lord, this is an 80-yard field goal, and he professes to be a Christian young man, and he, you're, he's, going to be, he's going to be greatly glorified when it circles the goalpost four times and goes through the center, and everybody knows you did it, right? I'd still skip that, by the way, because I don't believe that, that, that God cares about that. But the point that I'm making is if you're not praying for God's holiness and glory, listen to me, you're, you're still being selfish. You have to recognize when you begin to pray, when we pray together, again, we don't have to be in the same room to pray together. When we pray together, recognize that we're praying not primarily for what we need. We're praying for God's glory. Now, listen, listen to me. This is important because you're not worthy and I'm not worthy and nobody around us is, but he is worthy. And he's also the only one that's able 
by the way. Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. <laughs> and, oh man, I really want to dwell on this. I am afraid that many church-going people are praying for the upcoming election to go a certain way and they want to consume it upon their own lusts. They want life to be easy or whatever. They want things to go a certain way. And so they're praying, Lord, please don't let. And they're probably praying against some wickedness in some way, if you understand what I'm saying. But they still aren't doing it so that they can go out and minister the gospel or so that they can assemble and pray and, and, and worship and, and study the word of God. No, they're doing it so they can, again, I, I don't know. Everything I pick offends somebody. You know, I could say sports or fishing or shopping or whatever it is. And everybody's going to say, oh, that's my thing. Don't talk about my thing. You know what I'm saying? But we all have to recognize it's not, we really have to let go of our thing. Yes? We really have to let go. Of, really, people are dying going to hell, right? You know, it still shows up. Uh, the, the slide, Amanda made the slide. She's also in charge of the fact that the slides, you know, in the rotation of the slides that you see in announcement, Amanda is responsible for those. So that daisy chain one may be there forever. And every time I think, of, every time I see that one where, where uh, Amy Carmichael was talking about the people who are following her vision, the people are falling off and going to hell, and there's a group of Christians not far from that who are supposed to have a place at the perimeter rescuing people from going to hell, and instead they're sitting down together having tea and making daisy chains. And every time I, every time I see that, I, every time I see it, literally, every time I see it, I say, to, I say to the Lord, Lord, where do I make daisy chains in my life? Where am I making daisy chains? Because I don't think I've, anybody ever make a daisy chain? Raise your hand if you've ever made a daisy chain. Yeah. When I grew up, it was a, when I grew up, girls made daisy chains. They sat in fields and I don't know why. I don't think I ever saw a guy make a daisy chain, but I saw girls make daisy chains. But don't worry, ladies, guys make daisy chains. They just look like chainsaws instead. Do you understand? But what we do is we have things in our life that are selfish endeavors that we would rather do than help people that God wants us to help. And you say, oh, you're starting to make me feel guilty. I'm not here. To, I, I truly would rather, we are doing really wonderfully well as a church family, but I really truly believe that if we're going to pray, that we need to be able to pray, thy kingdom come. And his kingdom is not about daisy chains. How many of you are aware in a little, in a, in, in, that the Bible is very clear in the moment, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we'll all be changed and we'll go be with Jesus. Anybody? Anybody looking forward to that? I mean, anybody really looking forward to that? Well, I am too, but it hasn't happened. So let's be about our Father's business. Until that happens, let's recognize that I'm here because he's still rescuing people. When that time is over, and that, not because he doesn't want to rescue, but when the last person that will say yes has said yes, when that time is over, guess what? Jesus is going to come get his bride, and we're going to leave, and we're going to go be with him. And that's wonderful, but you're here I'm here. You want to know why? To bear witness unto how great our Lord Jesus is. Because someone needs to see it. Not hear it. See it. They need to see it in your life. They need to see that you're living your life because Jesus is awesome. And it matters to you. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Now we want that we say that, but we do, should truly want that what, God, what happens on the earth is done in such a way as it's like what God is doing in heaven. In other words, with him ruling and reigning. It goes from there. I'm going to stop here for just a moment because I, I really want to um, cause you to understand once you get, now that's a lot of just God-centeredness. And then it says, give us this day our daily bread. But notice it says, not give, I want, I'm going to reword it. Give me this day my daily bread. 
Now, how many of you think that that's just semantics? That it doesn't say, give me this day my daily bread, but give us this day our daily bread. Do you want to know why? You want to know why? Because you may have two days worth of bread. And Simon and M, I mean, I don't believe this is true, but and Simon and M may not have today's bread yet. Give us this day our daily bread. And God may say, well, then take some over to so-and-so. Because you, you have the daily bread that you need. You say, well, I'm going to need that bread tomorrow. Oh, that's not what you prayed. You prayed for today's bread. Do you think I can't give you tomorrow's bread? Remember the woman that put in her two mites, right? Do you know what she had at home? Apparently, what you have. You think she trusted God when she put in those two mites? She put in everything she had. And Jesus was very clear about it. She's given more than everybody. Because out of their multitude, they gave. She gave everything she has. We don't do that. I mean, I'm not trying to be unkind. We, we, American Christianity doesn't understand. We don't really understand lack. We don't really. Does anybody not have food? Honestly, does anybody not have food in their house? Does anybody have enough food in their house for at least the next three days? Raise your hand if you've got enough food in your house for the next three days. Raise it up high. Not what you want to eat, just enough food in your house for the next three days. We have enough food in closets, I mean, in, in cupboards in our, in our house, I'm sure, for a month. And my wife would say, hey, would you like to eat blah, blah, blah? And I would say, no. But it's in the cupboard. And I'd say, yep, it looks good in the cupboard, too. Amen? <laughs> Open the refrigerator. Let's see what's in there. Yes? You understand? We don't know what it means to lack or to want. We really, we really don't. Has anybody, been, has anybody been in a country where they don't have tomorrow's food? You know, Mitch, remember you and I were, remember that family that fed us? It almost brings me to tears. They fed us. It wasn't good. I don't, I don't mean to be unkind. What they fed us was not good. It was a, but it was the best they had. You had, to, you had to duck down to go into the doorway to their house. Just a little, I mean, and then when you were in there, you didn't stand up all the way because they, they literally had a one-room mud hut. This is in Bolivia. A little one-room, and they were so happy that we came to eat with them. And we sat down, and they, put the, and they, put the, they didn't put the food on the table. They put food in front of Mitch and I and Rudy. And when I saw it, I thought, hmm, I don't think I would order this, if you understand what I'm saying. And then when I tasted it, I thought, no, I know that I wouldn't order this because it didn't taste very good. And, but I ate it, and I ate it to be polite. I ate it to be polite because I thought I should be polite. When we went outside, the three of us went outside, and they asked us to go outside, but I don't know why. I don't, it has something to do with it, the way things are hosted. We ate like some, some dessert outside afterwards. I said to Rudy, I said, when will they eat? And this is what he said. They may not eat today because they just gave us their food. And I said to him, well, we'll don't let them know that we did, but we will give them money so that they can buy more food. Because, because for, for Tidewater, how many of you would have said, please, Pastor, give them some money, right? All of you. And, so, and I knew you would, so I just did. And it was a good amount of money. It probably bought a month's worth of food for them. And that's, by the way, God rewarding them for giving me the last of their food, right? Somebody who, by the way, didn't even appreciate the food that I was given. 
We don't understand this, give us this day our daily bread. We want our daily bread. We wouldn't even say give us this day our daily bread. We would say give us this day our daily seafood. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to pick on the people that ate seafood a lot last week. Give us this day our daily ice cream, which is what I did every day when we were in Vermont. Right? Give us this day our daily corn on the cob or our daily whatever it is you want. That's what we would pray. And what God is saying, with he says, with food and raiment, there would be content. Just have something to put on. And something to eat. We don't understand this in America. And we're out, and we're out in the streets rioting because we deserve more. We don't deserve more. We really don't deserve more. We don't deserve what we've got. But we need to be aware of this. And forgive us our debts. I know this is important. I know I, I have come to, I truly, truly, truly have come to the realization that you will never, you personally, thee, thou, thou personally, will never do anything to me close to what I've done to Jesus. So you can never offend me to the degree that I would judge you for your offense. Because you'll never hurt me like I've hurt Jesus. It says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. In other words, the things that I've done to God, he wants to forgive them, but he wants me also to forgive those who have any debt toward me at all. And the Bible's very clear about this, right? The guy that owned, owed somebody $1.95 and the, and, the, and the guy that was owed $1.95 owed somebody a million dollars and he'd been forgiven that debt and he's strangling this dude for $1.95 and it's just not okay. Do you understand? Listen, please hear me. Please hear me. If you're holding a grudge against somebody that's done something to you, I want you to go stand at the cross and collect. I want you to go stand and look at Jesus bleeding and dying for you and collect their debt. That looks ridiculous, doesn't it? Forgive us our debts as we forgive those that have debts for, against us. God, look, God really help us understand this. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Notice it began with him and it ends with him. Now this is the, who taught this prayer? Who's the one teaching the prayer? Jesus. This is the model prayer. This is not the Lord's prayer. It's often called the Lord's prayer. The Lord's prayer is in chapter 17 of John. That's him praying. This is him teaching us to pray. This is our prayer. And our prayer needs to be God-centric from beginning to end. And it needs to not be um, filled in our hearts and minds with the garbage that we find in the first few verses of James chapter 4, where we're just wanting whatever it is that we want. Now, I'm, I'm, it's time to be closed. I want to say this. I want to, I want to be very clear about this. I, am, I, could, I do not know, I do not know if it's possible for me to be more encouraged about what God is doing in our church family right now. And I mean that with all of my heart. But I listen, I believe that God intends to use churches like ours to change through prayer the upcoming election. But you can't pray selfishly about it. Do you understand? Pray, yes, please. Pray urgently, pray fervently, pray continually, but don't pray selfishly. And, and listen, by the way, as you're praying, say to God this, Lord, I don't want to make a deal with you, but work in my heart that I would understand why I should pray that the election would not go so that the church can't preach the gospel anymore and that I would not waste the time when you give it to us. 
When you allow us to continue, may we continue more earnestly than we are now. In other words, just less selfishly. I want you to be glorified. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Father, thank you for giving us this time together tonight. I thank you for your great love wherein you have loved us. And I do pray that you would continue to open the eyes of our understanding, that we would recognize that my shortcomings are my shortcomings, but they hurt others. And Lord, that we would be willing to confess. Lord, I I don't want to pray selfishly. Help me to understand what it means to be a blessing to others. Help me to understand that it is the reason why you've left us here. We are here to be a witness unto how great you are. And we cannot witness to how great you are if we're being selfish. We just can't because it doesn't demonstrate how powerful you are. And you are powerful enough to change our selfishness. And we thank you for that. You are changing our selfishness. You really are. I'm watching it. I'm testifying to the fact that I see in my brothers and sisters victory after victory after victory as you win in our hearts and minds and lives. And I thank you for it. And you're the one doing all of it. But we are laboring together. We are working together. Every joint fitly supplying. And I thank you for that. But it's because of you and you alone. And you deserve all of the honor and you deserve all of the glory for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And we say amen. Amen.